But I'm here to tell you about literary devices and why you need to understand how someone uses them as tools to influence your understanding of a piece of work or the way you think about something in general. And welcome to Earbuds and Earworms. I'm Amy Bookdork Shepherd, and this is... Mitchell Manley, Donde Esta La Biblioteca. <laughs> um, it's actually, if you just go down Walnut Grove, right? Yeah, it'll turn Take into, the yeah. Okay, I got okay. you. Z where Union kind of is, yeah. I just actually just recently got my library card here in Memphis. Oh, yeah. I got one, um, I think it was a few weeks after I moved here i got one but that was when rue was still like tiny tiny yeah anywhere i go i'm trying to f i'm trying to figure out don't destiny la biblioteca where is the bookstore oh yeah i want to go to a bookstore anywhere i mean you've I worked there before yes i've worked <laughs> at books a million before and or, i did before you oh yeah that's right you also worked there as well yep. and we had the same managers yeah it's, it it's kind of a sad existence uh, for bookstores these days but yeah you know. you're not allowed to read in the bookstores yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame, it's right? Like, I always, that's why I wanted the jobs. Just like when I was want, wanted to be a Girl Scout, I wanted the cookies, but they, they make you pay for them if you're yeah. a Girl Scout. So they that's still make you pay for the books. Um, but in other words, what we're talking about this week, literary songs. Yeah, songs <laughs> songs that reference books or songs about a book or, as well. Yeah, and it could be poetry or it can be like somebody going to a bookstore. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it's... Literary, just anything that's literary, which technically I think music is literary anyway, right? right. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. what'd you bring? So I brought The Cure and their song Killing an Arab. I'm the stranger, killing an Arab. I can turn and walk away, or I can fire the gun. Staring at the sky, staring at the sun. Whichever I choose, it amounts to the same. Absolutely nothing. I'm alive. I'm dead. I'm the stranger. Killing an Arab. Uh, this is actually the very first single released by The Cure back in 1978 before they really came into their own as a band. Uh, it's not necessarily the most iconic or memorable song based on the music alone, uh, but it has a special place in my heart for being an allusion to one of my favorite all-time, like my all-time favorite books, The Stranger by Albert Camus, uh, or Albert Camus, <laughs> it's like, if I want to be French. Um Surely the title itself may be a little controversial in a, in a modern context. But yeah, like, I didn't know where it was going. Yeah, yeah. The The book takes place in Algiers, which is like right in the middle, like on the tippy top of Africa and on the very, very bottom 
of like Europe mm-hmm. in this, and so like a lot of cultures are clashing in there. And, a lot of paintings of the wars and right, absolutely. So yeah, it's as it relates to the song, you know, it totally fits, or as it relates to the book, it really fits. Um, you know, the book is like divided into two parts, and the first part's basically the main character before and leading up to him shooting a man on on the beach in broad daylight and not really being exactly sure why he did it. And then the second half is him being tried and convicted. But as the story's told, it's not so much the murder that he's on trial for, but like being an outsider or a stranger to society uh, because he's being honest and kind of somewhat cynical. And he like eschews social niceties and conventions and instead is like very upfront with his apathy and confusion towards things like love and friendship and like family relations and social interactions. It's a it's a brilliant piece of existentialist literature. I own three copies. <laughs> I have two with my own notes like scrawled in the margins, and then another copy that I found at a used bookstore with someone else's notes scrawled throughout. Uh, so it's a short book, like just filled to the brim with metaphors and symbolism and fun existential questions. So if you haven't read it, go pick it up. You can uh, DM me and we'll talk about it. Ooh, well, I I really should read any Camus. Yeah. I really really should, and mostly because um there's this boy that I swiped right on who's like downstairs playing mm-hmm. on the computer yeah. and his whole like uh his little you know the blurb you do right on tinder was like uh, I think it was from the plague yeah the plague yeah and I was like oh charming also pictures of him with cats so into that sure. yeah so I really should like actually read it because well thank you Camus right absolutely <laughs> right um I know that we do have the stranger or I think we have the stranger because for sure I shelved it multiple times. Right. Um, and I, I'm not sure how I expected this song to sound, but it's like super accessible. And also it's pretty introspective, probably like the book is. Uh, it has actually some surfery vibes going on. So, of course, they were on a beach and they kind of like, um, that's where the guy died. Right, yeah. But it, I felt like there was a surfer guitar thing going on. Yeah, they like got to elicit being on a beach. Yeah. And then a little bit of murder. Just a little, <laughs> just, a, just, just a, a tiny bit of murder. Smidge. But I always think of them as being a sad boy band. Right. And I didn't think that this was like sad boy music. Right. So is it sad boy music though? This one's not necessarily sad boy music yet. They had not really gotten too, too sad. They were still trying to be like philosophical and, and you know, intellectual and brooding instead of just being like, I'm really sad and oh. girls don't love me. Oh, you know? yeah. It's probably because they were trying to be so intellectual. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just accessible. like, just be yourself, Robert Smith. Yeah. You know, just... if you want to moose up your hair straight up into the air, you know, that's fine. And his eyeliner was always on point. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was great. I guess if we're going to talk about intellectual dorkiness, mm-hmm. I brought Allen Ginsberg singing Nurse's Song from Songs of Innocence. No, no, let us play, for it is yet day, and we cannot go to sleep. Besides, in the skies, the little birds fly, and the hills are all covered with sheep. Well. Go and play till the light fades away And then go home to bed The little ones leaped and shouted and laughed And all the hills echoed 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 
this is literary inception. I was actually looking on my like normal source, which is albumoftheyear.org, and I found a band called Blood Red Shoes, mm-hmm. and they released an album called Howl. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's songs about Howl, which I've never, you know, listened to. But then I just discovered Allen Ginsberg put out records. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is crazy. And it's also a William Blake song, and it's from the Cheery collection, Songs of Innocence instead of Songs of Experience. And it's just really charming. The arrangement is kind of like a round right and it i mean it's not a true round and there's this crazy like vocal textures because the voices are not perfect like singing voices but they blend beautifully into this super strange lullaby there is yodeling there's a harmonium and uh yeah ginsburg just got straight up weird with this and i really like it and i still have not read or listened to howl yeah and this uh i just i just really liked it and it's called nurse's song even though it's not like a traditional nurse nurse like it's the old school nurse where it's like hey i'm taking care of you right um but it's just about this loving caretaker who wants kids to like play and be safe but also enjoy their childhood and um the songs of experience one is awful as a jealous nurse who's like no you can't play so i thought it was sweet yeah, for, first of all, you know, definitely, I had no idea that, that Ginsburg even played music or put out any music. Uh, Howell is my only exposure to him. I've definitely heard that a few times, but uh, I knew he was seen as a seminal poet. But yeah, hearing this definitely gives me that impetus to actually like go and actually look into his work in, in earnest, you know. Uh, I can't really remember much of William Blake's work, except that I'm positive I read it in high school. Yeah, in English um, honors. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like AP English, definitely. Yep. Uh, I looked at a list of the poems before we recorded, and I remembered having read The Tiger and the Chimney Sweeper for sure. So, yeah, I'll have to give that a legitimate deep dive as well. Uh, As soon as the music started, first thing that I noticed was that harmonium. Have you seen a harmonium? Yeah, it's like you, like, blow into it while playing. Or no, that's a... a melodica, I think, oh. it might be what you're thinking. Okay, that's what But I'm a harmonium thinking. is, uh, it has bellows on the back of it oh. that you move with your hand while you're playing it with the other hand. So it's kind of a little like the concept of the melodica in a way where there's air right, blowing yeah, through it's, it. It's the uh, the old school melodica. Yeah, but it's almost a little like, um, what's the squeeze box? Yeah, squeeze box accordions. Yeah, and making the music with air. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, harmoniums are just super rad. My buddy Jason, who's an ear buddy and plays keyboard in all my bands, he recently acquired a really nice harmonium, and they just sound so great. And then, like you said, the stacked voices, and like sometimes they're in unison, and sometimes they're harmonizing, and sometimes they're like out of sync and like almost around, but not quite, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of out of sync with each other in interesting ways. It's just super intriguing. So I'm I'm definitely excited to more to like learn more about this and like hear this whole thing in its entirety. Isn't it nice? I have to go back and read all the all the William Blake involved. I love, I, I love William Blake songs. I've or like poems because I have no idea what's going on generally. You have yeah. to go to the annotated ones. Yeah, like, definitely. I'm gonna reference? look into that. There were okay, so I was like, mm, this might be a hard theme. Right. So I posted it. There are lots of people who know a lot about music yeah. and literature in our in our ear buddies. There's we even so have many, a librarian. We have one yeah, librarian. We have so. a librarian. So our first ear buddy is Frank, and he brought the Ramones' Pet Cemetery. I 
says the first thing to come to mind so this was inspired by the book i think dd Ram- i actually i can't believe how much research i did um <laughs> dd ramon read the book immediately went and wrote this song and then this song was on the soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, so i i still need to read the book dakota just blew through it right. and um i know it's in the kindle library and i'm also i have an angry black cat <laughs> And yeah. apparently that is a theme in this uh, book. Yeah. So Dakota always thinks the cat's name Church. The cat, the cat's name is Church. Yeah. Well, in in the book it is, but he thinks Mew is. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. I <laughs> yeah. see what you mean. I got yeah, dude. The Ramones and Stephen King can't really go wrong. Uh, they're known for being like hella catchy, and, but you know, for being one of their darker tunes, this is actually probably their catchiest one, in my opinion. Uh, it's a lot more rocking and produced than most of our stuff, most of their stuff, which is you know a nice breath of fresh air in contrast to their other songs, which may kind of run together for some people. Uh, I also haven't read Pet Cemetery, but I've seen the movie with Fred Gwynn, <laughs> uh, and that's definitely one of my earliest memories of of seeing a scary movie. Um, like you said, yeah, Stephen King actually loves the Ramones, and he invited uh, the Ramones up to visit him in Maine at one point, right whenever they were making the movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he gave Dee Dee Ramone a copy of the book. And uh, he immediately went into the basement, came out an hour later, and uh, had this song. And that's uh, that's pretty rad. Yeah, but isn't it cool? It's like inspired by the book and it ends up in the, in just, the movie. I like yeah. it. I like it because, I don't know, I just really think that's cool. So. Yeah, and it's one, of my, it's one of my favorite Ramon songs. It's so good. It's, and Dakota was stoked about it, definitely. Uh, he was listening to all of these, obviously. Um, Debbie brings... Who screwed books about UFOs? says the song that started a hundred librarians library related playlist 
This is a jangly enjoyment of reading culture. I like the world-building situation that's going on in here, and I'm glad that umlauts don't mean awful music. I have no idea why I thought Husker Du was Guns N' Roses. I don't right, know. Yeah, no. But this sound, this also has like a little bit of a Bob Dylan-y kind of like when he's like not necessarily on beat singing, speaking things. But I, I think that's why I got Bob Dylan vibe-ish thing. Yeah, I can get into yeah. that. Uh, so yeah, while this one's not explicitly about a real book, it kind of paints a picture of a character within the song, like a woman who checks out books about UFOs from the library and buys a dozen oranges and heads home to read and eat her oranges, you know. And there's like some interesting moods being elicited by this lady in her books, like staring at the sky, hoping to spot UFOs, you know. Uh, she yearns for something new and something exciting. You know, she knows there's something more to the world than the humdrum life that she may be used to. And she wants to understand the bigger picture. And there's also the layer of our narrator, like pining for this woman and admiring her, her curiosity and devotion to, to those ideals and like seeking truth. I don't know, like just like finding your place in the overarching hierarchy of the universe. It's a very sweet and very inspirational song. Isn't you know? it? It's like. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't condone stalking, and I hope the dude's not stalking. But I really like that she's like, you know, got her like book thing going on. I really like it. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, Jacques brings the normal warm leatherette. Hear the crushing steel. Feel the steering wheel. Hear the crushing steel. Feel the steering wheel. Warm leatherette. Warm. Leatherette, warm. Leatherette, warm. Leatherette, warm. Leatherette. He says, this song, based on J.G. Ballard's crash, is one of the best things I've ever heard. I really like the electronic situation. Yeah, it's like, amazing. It's so good. And this song really makes me blush a lot. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yes. I see that. Um, I mean, car bras have always made me like feel a little like, mm, <laughs> should you have that outside on right. your... And I think that this song is just like... Str- the car bra is the straight up fetish item, I guess, especially in a car accident. And the this the whole concept I don't want to sex shame anybody, but it's so interesting. You know, I kinda wanna read that for sure. Yeah. There's also like a Chuck Polinick book about characters mm-hmm. that love getting into car crashes. And like the there's one person who likes choking, like choking on food or yeah. something. Chuck yeah. Chuck Polinick writes weird books too, but that's yeah. that's a different story yeah, for a different totally. day. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, this one's based on a JG Ballard novel called Crash, which is apparently about people who are sexually aroused by car crashes. You do you. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, Apparently, Daniel Miller, the brain behind this band, had been trying to write a screenplay based on the novel, but eventually just, like, gave up and decided to put it into a single song instead. Uh, I haven't read the book, but lyrically and musically, I'd have to say it's 
probably a, a pretty great distillation of the concept. You know, the music is very steamy and emotionally charged, and the lyrics fixate on like the small sensual details of a car crash. It like, did feel a little like listening to audio, audible porn. Yeah, yeah, like, and they talk about like seeing the broken glass and hearing crushed steel and feeling the force of and the power of like the crash through the steering wheel and like the feel of fake leather seats. You know. <laughs> Uh, even though the lyrics only get explicitly sexual for a brief moment, like halfway through the song, mm-hmm. the whole song just exudes a very powerful, like passion and erotic energy. And I'm, I'm super on board for it, to be yeah. honest. It's, it's oddly like absolutely engrossing to listen. Yeah. To. I liked this one a lot. Yeah. Uh, Brian V brings Natalie Dawn's the book of love. And you. the simplicity of this version well look at my notes yeah i was wondering uh, i was wondering about that <laughs> my notes are all emojis it's hearts guitars lady and a diamond yeah because um, you know she wants a diamond ring yeah she's wedding, wedding rings, rings. Yeah. yeah and i um i love girl singer songwriters mm-hmm. I, I can't help it i love it i also read this book called the history of love by nicole krauss okay and it kind of gave me like the feelings of reading that book and i love that book so much and so i was just like i got all squishy feeling in there that's that's how i felt and i couldn't figure out a way to say that that so i put in emojis and then you you uh deciphered your emojis into a stream of consciousness (laughs) yes that's all right there's nothing wrong with that that's that's genuine and authentic and i appreciate i just found it to be such a sweet simple lovely song that i just thought emojis really captured it no for sure this is one of my favorite songs um so so natalie dawn is one half of the band pomplamoose who i believe we may have featured on the show once before. i think so and this song is actually a cover of one of my favorite magnetic field songs uh peter gabriel also did a pretty magnificent version of this as well i love Um, his covers yeah his are always pretty great yeah Uh, i do love this stripped down version though especially because the chords and the timing are changed quite a bit Mm -hmm. so it's a very unique and original cover but still like nothing beats the original in my opinion uh that magnetic fields album it's called 69 love songs (laughs) it just like hit me a perfect time in my life which will stick with me forever but this is definitely a very like interesting and unique take on that, and I appreciated that it wasn't just a direct take in the same way that the Peter Gabriel one is. You right. Know? I, I did you ever listen to Peter Gabriel's like My Body Is a K 
Cage or whatever it's called? I don't think so. Oh, it's the cover from Neon, the song from Neon Bible from Arcade Fire. Oh, no, I haven't heard that at all. It was in House. Oh, wow. Yeah. House had a lot of good music on it. I know. It. The theme song was a Massive Attack song. I know. So I got so no good. problem Sorry. with any of that. <laughs> Complete diversion. Yeah. Um, This dude named Dakota, he, he doesn't submit lots, but he brought the Smith Symmetry. Symmet- symmetry. Yeah, gates. Symmetry Gates. So we go inside and we gravely read the stones All those people, all those lives, where are they now? But with the love and hate and passions just like mine They were born and then they lived and then they died Seems so unfair, I want to cry You sir, throws this undone salutation to the dawn And you claim these words as your own I've read well and I've heard them said A hundred times, maybe less, maybe more If you must write pros and points The words you use should be around Don't plagiarize or take on loan There's always someone somewhere With a big nose who knows And trips you up and laughs when you fall Will trip you up and laughs he says, basically, guys, don't walk around misquoting Richard III and claiming as an original thought. Funny and pretentious. Now, in a prior discussion with this man, he has declared that this is the perfect goth kid cemetery song because it is pretentious and kind of, it, it's like making fun of goths a little bit, but it's very knowing in the fact that within itself is being super pretentious. And it's just a very deep song. I went and did a full dive into the genius uh, page and it's very annotated and it's just catchy and nerdy. And Who's this new Amy that does research? <laughs> no. Um, so I don't have to study right now. Oh yeah. Now you don't have anything else. To, and now you're already just too used to <laughs> yeah. learn. Yeah. Reading and learning about stuff. Yeah, I know. All I, right. That's okay. I like this new, this new Amy that you've brought to the table. Don't worry. I actually, in the show notes, I'm linking to the genius page so you can just go and deep right. dive on that. So yeah, uh, a Dakota submitted song. I haven't heard one of those in a while. I, I think know. like only one or two since I've joined the show. I know. His stuff's always really choice though, so I'm, I'm glad it's here. I'm a huge Smith fan, uh, and this is one of the best Smith songs in my opinion. References John Keats, W.B. Yeats, and Oscar Wilde, all of whom I devoured in my senior year of high school, <laughs> uh, shaped a lot of my appreciation for poetry and literature. Uh, like the lady being addressed in this song, I used to write bad poetry in middle and high school. High five. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of it was very derivative tripe and that I tried pawning off as my own, you know. Uh, the reader or the listener can always pick up on authenticity or like the lack thereof within a written work. So I feel like my writing got much better and more relatable whenever I began being a bit more authentic in my writing and like wearing my influences more clearly on my sleeve and like paying honest homage to the to the thoughts and phrases and ideas that I found in other art instead of just jacking their hard work <laughs> and rewording it myself to make myself sound intelligent, you know, just yeah. like, like, man, I read this thing one time and I was really moved by this phrase. So I'm going to weave it into this mm-hmm. greater work <laughs> and, you know, make it an, a very obvious reference so that other people will be like, oh, that's a beautiful line. And they'll go back and read the thing that I read. <laughs> that's way better than just being like, hey, look at this profound thing that I came up with that. I'm a stole, genius, yeah. and then like you're like, oh, let me break out the thesaurus and slightly change it a little. Right, bit. exactly. Sunny brings Nick Caves in the a uh, Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. There she goes, my beautiful world. 
and Nabokov wrote on index cards to the left and in his socks. So Jonathan Cross, he did a his best of imprisoned in a box. And Johnny Thomas was half alive when he wrote Chinese rhymes. Oh, me, I'm lying here, nothing in my ears. over craft work about two minutes after we met yeah <laughs> and we were on the third floor of Treyhern while printing our art stuffs and talking to you know our professors and stuff and she introduced me to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and goodness I'm so grateful for it because I just I love this band but this song is gloriously referential to great literary works and it's almost like going to church this song is like going yeah to I church. agree it's yeah. very it's a very like spiritually open song yeah. like it's i like that a lot and so like so many details are like i'm gonna pull this one detail about this one art author and slide it in here and i really like that yeah it's such a brilliant beautiful song i'm i'm pretty sure it's about like writer's block or perhaps about feeling inferior as a writer or as an artist i know i've posed the question to myself a million times about what holds me back from creating at certain points in my life you know i can say i'm tired or uninspired or that my circumstances just aren't conducive to being creative uh and then on top of that i see examples like john wilmot you know writing even though he was slowly dying of a combination of venereal diseases and, you know as you do right and and nabokov writing his novel on index cards or other examples of just like great artists putting out their best work in defiance of their circumstances you know if you're not careful it's easy to see that stuff and feel like an imposter but i think the real message uh is to find that part of you that wants to create and wants to create anything mm -hmm. at, at any cost you know and whether it's good or bad just create and produce and i think that we're all about that idea here yep. on your buds and earworms you know whether it's good or bad amy and i just keep creating and producing and from time to time i feel like we hit gold i think so too and also last night you played yeah, I yeah. did play last night. It yeah. was a lot of fun. It was awesome. I haven't gotten my friend Alyssa's birthday party, and uh, yeah, so we played great. some of her solo songs, which uh, we talked about two weeks ago, I believe, mm -hmm. or maybe a little longer. Than yeah, that, whenever the plan was coming together, I think. Yeah, so definitely yeah. go check out Alyssa Moore's Bandcamp since we've stumbled onto that. I want to give her a plug since yesterday was her birthday it was celebration. So awesome. Yeah, go give her a birthday gift to the like downloads and stuff. Right. Uh, if you want to, you know, like tweet at us or anything, where can we find you? I'm at Pow I Gotcha. Is, are, are they going to slide into your DMs over there? That'd be great. <laughs> Holler at me. I'm at Madam Woolite, and the show is at END Pod. The Facebook is Earbuds and Earworms Podcast Group, and the voicemail line is 731-400-BUDS or 731-400-2837. I almost forgot to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's endpod at gmail.com is our email, and you can always find us on the internet at endpod.com, part of the 10710 network. What's our final song? 
All right, so I'm going to leave us with a Fleet Foxes song called Bedouin Dress. Uh, earlier in the episode, we heard that Smith song, which referenced uh, W.B. Yeats, who's known for his poem, The Lake Isle of Innisfree. Uh, he romanticizes about the lake, about the Isle of Innisfree, which is like this little island near his home in Ireland. Uh, and his very lyrical poem, he sort of created this idea of Innisfree as like a beautiful utopia that can only exist within our imagination. And other writers have used Innisfree as sort of a poetic stand-in for that unattainable destination where everything's perfect and, you know, you have everything you'll ever need and you can live in happiness and reverie forever. And in this Fleet Foxes song, uh, the singer yearns to return to Innisfree, but is distracted and diverted along the way by sirens driving him over the stern of his ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Of course, we all strive for that utopian vision for our lives. And whether it's realistically attainable or not, I feel like that pursuit is the meaningful one. And in that pursuit, it's important not to get distracted or lured astray by the sirens that want to pull us under, you know. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, just keep keep sailing forward toward toward Innisfree and uh, enjoy Bedouin Dress by Fleet Foxes. To borrow is to take and not return. I have borrowed all my lonesome life, and I can't, no, I can't get through. The borrower's debt is the only regret of my youth. Everything I took, I'd soon 
I really just like to say it like that. Um, Hooskadoo. Hooskadoo. Uh, 